This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I'm joined on Football CFB today by Tam Kibben. A lot of people say you can't have Stuart without Tam. So had Stuart last week, get Tam this week. First of all, Tam, how are you? Uh, very well, thank you very much. Uh, brand new, just finished the show there. Um, another uh, dose of uh, Professor Jason Leach, which is always very entertaining, very interesting, clear and concise as usual. So, never mind the professor, I think by the end of this, I could write a book on uh, the coronavirus. It's amazing what you pick up, the do's and the don'ts. I'm forever uh, passing on me tidbits of information to my wife, to my wee girl, to my pals, in terms of the do's and the don'ts, just because he's such a great guy at getting his message across that it tends to lodge in your brain. You think how many experts in life that we've all listened to or tried to listen to and it goes in one ear and out the other but uh, Jason's the man so uh, we're just gearing up uh, for the five o'clock show now we've got the usual mountain of uh, texts and emails that we couldn't even get close to using at the lunchtime show uh, we're sorting through them and then we've got a fair bit of music to sort out as well uh, for tonight back on between five and seven in terms of the, the day of off the ball, before we talk about the programme in general, what's the day like? Because I imagine you get into the BBC maybe an hour or so before the show and you're here obviously until after the evening show as well, of course. I know. It's, well, it's a bit longer than that. I'll, I'll, I'll come in maybe at about uh, half past nine, quarter to ten. And uh, I've got, as I've had for 25 years, my A4 sheet where a shorthand version of basically everything that's happened that week, front and back end of the papers, any other stories that have been kicking about that week, and stuff that we hope that we'll be able to incorporate into the show. So when I come in, let's say it is half nine, I'll meet up with Stuart and our producer. We'll sit and have a cup of coffee. The first cup of coffee in the morning, we just tend to have a bit of idle gossip, what's been happening with us that week, anything that we've heard about colleagues at the BBC, anything else. Just just sitting there like sweetie wives, talking a, a, a wee bit of idle gossip. But we then, in the second cup of coffee, we have a look at the sheet that I've compiled that week. We are wealth of potential topics. And we basically bring through them one by one and try to pick out four things that would be applicable for the show. Now, for example, today... We always note there's stuff involving the coronavirus and football. That's always a number one talking point. So uh, today that involved the talk of potentially crowds being allowed back in to football games from July the 23rd. But that was kind of poo-pooed a wee bit with the professor. We were also talking about the fact that Liverpool had been crowned champions in front of a, a closed-door game between uh, Man City and Chelsea. And again, that given us the fear, perhaps, about the very idea of closed-doors game in Scottish football. We know that beggars can't be choosers, no one want the game to come back. But I think increasingly so, as we tune in 
whether you're a, 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 a whether English football is essential viewing for you, or whether a bit like me and Stuart, you, you know, you, you, you can't be annoyed with it, but you, you still can't uh, disguise the fact that anything you do tune in here, that it doesn't look such a great spectacle when there's no fans there. So that was another thing we were talking about today. And then, in totally unrelated uh, chat, there was a story kicking about this week about a, a senior Scottish club having signed a player and uh, because he was from afar, they've put him up in a local hotel and he's the only resident in that <laughs> hotel. So we had a wee subject there about all by myself, when you've been by yourself, whether it was on a flight or in the cinema or at a gig that wasn't clearly very well attended. So that was another wee thing of the week that we were able to incorporate. And with the shops, all shops in Scotland being able to open um, on Monday, another top point was in your dream world, uh, if you can fantasise which shop anywhere in the world would you like to go into on Monday. Uh, so those were stuff that came from uh, stories of the week. And then once we've got three or four of them done on the page, once we pick our team of the week, which was the Bridges 11, because it was the Kingston Bridges 50th birthday yesterday, uh, we picked somebody for a wee song to play us out today. It was Paul Young, the 80s singer. Uh, he'd been in the news this week, so we went with a Paul Young song. And then before you know it, that's sure you've got a, a show knocked into shape. And... Uh, just get us on air and away we go. So it's quite a simple process, but it's one, the same sort of process that we've done now for, you know, 25 years plus. Well, that's the thing. When you talk there about 25 years, it's an incredibly long time in anything, never mind TV or radio. Um, Known you, Tom, with the amount of shows that have been subsequently taken off air recently, was there ever a, a wee bit of a scare for you that off the ball could be in that bracket? Oh no! I mean, I think we're always we're, we're always smart enough. I know I'm quite content to play dumb when the mood takes me. And Stuart <laughs> is at the opposite end of the scale with that. He's seven doctorates or whatever he's got from a variety of uh, universities throughout the globe. Uh, but we're we're always aware of uh, social trends, shall we say, and what you're kind of able to say, what you're able uh, not to say. But we we know for a fact. You know, um, that if you would have dug into the, the, the annals uh, of Off the Ball, if you'd have dug out a few shows from, I don't know, the, the mid-90s when we started, maybe for a few years after, almost certainly there would have been jokes that we would have made uh, about subjects, about people, about things that quite frankly, 20, 25 years on, you couldn't make those same jokes. That's, that, that's just the way in the world. Uh, and there were even topics that we would have laughed and joked about um, that we wouldn't have uh, necessarily mentioned in today's world. So you just you just kind of uh, you, you get used to that going through the years. And the one thing that we would never shy away from, of course, uh, I mean, in the week that a couple of weeks ago that they did mention that you know a certain episode of Faulty Towers is going to be taken off air, and that Little Britain, the guys for that, were apologising for sketches they've done in the past. We, we, we made that a topic um, for uh, the listeners about any other shows that they reckon would never ever see the light of day again. And any other examples they have of stuff that they once heartily laughed at and they know themselves they, they, you would never get away with it. So it was quite an interesting debate 
So again, that's just a matter of trying to cover something um, that is uh, topical and that is in uh, the papers, it's in the news, it's in social media. Because in that note, there, there are a lot of themes in this world uh, that come round and round and round several times. And that's how we, we always take the piss out of ourselves about us about off-the-ball tropes <laughs> and how we've got certain subjects that always get a regular airing. But that's just because... That's just... That's just uh, the nature of the beast. I mean, me and Stuart sitting in a studio, we've always tried to make it sound like just a couple of pals maybe sitting in the pub talking about the football. And I can guarantee you, if you were sitting with one of your pals, uh, that, that's when you're old enough to get into a pub, Callum, but <laughs> if you were sitting with one of your pals, then I, I, I guarantee anybody that's tuned into this podcast as well, when you're sitting with your mates, the same subjects, the same cast of characters, maybe even the same jokes always get repeated when you're with their pals. You always remember stuff fondly, stories, guys that you remember, anecdotes from years ago, and they will frequently come around. That, that's all that having a warm conversation is like. So me and Stuart would never make any apology uh, for getting back to some of our favourite subjects and favourite people. Shall we say to the to the point that even today, I mean, to bring you right up to date on that, we actually introduced the concept of what's uh, the early equivalent of a swear box in the show today because somebody else, it wasn't even me, it was a listener, happened to mention Davy Cooper, who I'm accused of mentioning on every single show. <laughs> so the minute this listener mentioned Davy Cooper, nothing to do with me, they sent in their email, and there was another listener who mentioned Lethal. Uh, where Stuart grew up in Perth, and it wasn't Stuart that mentioned Lethal. So we just made a pact on here today that if either one of us mentions Davy Cooper or Lethal, they're our individual number one tropes, that we will put a fiver into a charity bottle and we'll give it uh, to a good cause at the end of the season or the end of the year. Uh, but So there we go. But I, I always think there's... Uh, uh, um, it's interesting, it's the first time I've ever thought about that, but if I thought, and of course, if only we were allowed it, if I thought about meeting up with some of my mates that I sat at Fur Parkway earlier the week, and we met, we were able to meet tonight in a pub, if you remember pubs, and have a beer together, <coughs> then yeah, absolutely, I know there'd be three or four stories, because their favourites of ours that would definitely uh, get another airing, just because... It's almost these stories are like a wee bond between you. And the tropes and off the ball, whether it's, you know, my JFK moments, whether it is Gordon Ramsay being the fantasist, whether it is mentions of Tommy Ring, or whether it is Paul Daniels saving my life in Blackpool, etc., etc., etc. I just think they help exude a wee bit of warmth because even though folk will say, okay, Tom's, I, Tom's 51 now, and, Stuart's about 105. Uh, well, no, I can I can safely say, and our doctors will back us up, that neither of us yet is even near the doddery stage. So we're not doing it uh, out of some kind of cry for help. And uh, because we're, we're, we're getting a bit old, we just do it because it's stuff that we enjoy talking about and it's stuff that resonates, I think, with the off-the-ball listener. Well, that's the thing. I said this to Stuart when he was on as well. Off the balls, 25 years old. Now, you know what it's like. When, when programmes have been going on for a long time, there's normally a sort of drone as it goes on and on. They go, oh, I'm kind of fed up with that now. They need to change it up. Off the balls never really had that in the sense that 
arguably now it's fresher than ever. It's got more listeners than ever. It's more popular than ever. How, how have you and Stuart managed to do that? Just by that sheet I was talking about that I bring in, we're always at the mercy of what's been happening that week. So we can only evolve um, at, at just at the same pace at the world of Scottish football. Uh, evolves, you know, and whatever's been happening that week, we will try to mention it and try to mention it in our own way. And since day one, maybe our objective, knowing it as a fan show hosted by two Scottish football fans, we've just always tried to look at the stories from our particular angle uh, and maybe in the same way or maybe saying some of the same things, again, trying to reflect uh, the language of the football supporter and how Fans might discuss a certain subject in the pub, pre or post-match. We try to have the same mood um, and, and off the ball and maybe uh, and, uh, not, not talking about things in the same way they might talk about in sports sound when we finish at two o'clock. But even then, the one thing I'm quite proud of in the history of off the ball, and I'm sure Richard Gordon would, would agree with us, I, I think we've helped maybe lighten Sports Sound a wee bit, because when we first um, started the Off the Ball, Sports Sound was a different beast entirely. And it, it seemed certainly a bit more staid. Uh, I always say that you had the impression that the, the, the guys on Sports Sound at that time and the guys announcing the football results, you'd image that they were all maybe in dinner suits with dicky boats and an old BBC microphone was coming out the ceiling that they were speaking into. Now the guys, and for many years indeed, the, the, the sports sounds a different beast entirely. They, they have a bit of a laugh on it. They have a joke and a carry on. They, they, they create and build characters depending on what they think about Chip Young or how they perceived Willie Miller to be or who's the grumpy guy or who's the cheery guy or who's the guy that invariably gets sent to a nil-nil draw. So um, I, I would like off the ball to take just a wee bit of credit for that because... Um, we, we, we definitely must have sounded a wee bit different uh, when we started out. And, and for folk, for any critics that would say, oh, it's been the same, it's been the same old shite for 25 years and all. Well, it's been the same in that, yeah, it's been me and Stuart at the helm. It's been our distinct voices. It's been a mother bowl and a St. Johnston fan. Um, yes, we've had our tropes and things that we will return to, but we will always try to reflect and try to have a mention of uh, what has been going on and do it in our way. Now, today being an example, right at the top of the show, when uh, the late great Sir Mark Busby was kind of getting pelters all week, ever since Man United were trying to claim that it was he who had come up with the phrase, football is nothing without fans. And ever since that appeared on social media, Celtic fans were absolutely bombarding Man United and their supporters. We said it was Jock Steen. Um, who, who who came out with that great line. Now, even though me and Stuart know it was Jockstein that came out with that line, we just thought, just take mix it up a wee bit and roll a grenade in. We were claiming that it was indeed Matt Busby uh, who coined that phrase. And Celtic just stole it like they have stolen many things, like the, you know, you'll never walk alone, which they stole for Liverpool, or the, the, the celebration when they're bouncing up and down with their back to the pitch, the pause man which came, of course, from Poznan, you know. And I'm sure the huddle, uh, it wasn't as if Celtic were the first sports team to do a huddle. I'm sure that derived, perhaps, I don't know, basketball in America or somewhere. So we decided rather to have a laugh with that. And it's not as if we were 
desecrating the memory of Jock Steen. We were just a, a, a laugh about it, and that was that. So I think that's the way that we're always able to come uh, with stories. Um, and as long as we, I mean, it seems something trivial at the time, but for the very minute, talking of coining phrases, it was sure years ago who first billed off the ball as petty and ill-informed. And you know what? It's, it, 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 it's a great phrase to get back on. It's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, whenever we do get stuff on the, uh, wrong on the show, and there's been plenty of it, uh, or whenever we give out some sort of detail and we're way off the mark, then I, it's, it's a luxury to be able to just immediately then say on air when we've been picked up in something by a listener and a text and an email, we can just say, ah, well, there we go, we've been ill-informed yet again, Stuart. And then we just brazenly move on to whatever we're talking about next. So um, that, 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 that kind of, for me, sums up what the mood of the show is all about. And again, going back to, and you know, trying to make it sound like just football fans sitting in the pub talking about football. Football fans, and you've sat with many of them yourself, we, we, we're forever getting things wrong. Uh, you know, we're forever getting our, our detail mixed up and getting our facts and figures uh, a wee bit askew. So, uh, as long as me and Stuart keep getting things wrong, I, I think it, it, it makes it sound more natural and more um, honest. Well, that's it, absolutely. And the, as, as you know as well, the odd couple of Scottish football, um, how many times do you get stopped and people go, oh, where's your pal Stuart? Because Stuart was telling me a story last week where he was going to Sainsbury's at 10 to 9 in the morning and a guy stopped and went, oh, where's Sam? And he went, well, how on earth would I know? I'm going to pick up stuff for my breakfast with my wee boy. Not got a clue. Exactly. 10 to 9 in a, in a supermarket, where's Tom? I, I mean, when I get asked, uh, my easy answer, uh, where's Stuart? I just tell him that for uh, Sunday to Friday, he's in a, his care home. And then I basically, go and, I basically go and get him out on a Saturday morning. I give him a thorough wash, uh, change, his, change his underpants, and then uh, wheel him in uh, for another couple of shows he off the ball. And then I return them safely at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. So, I but you get, you get that for a lot of folks. I assume that you're kind of joined in that. But and, and for them, we, we would kind of giggle if they ever described us as a, a double act. Because... Whether uh, Stuart mentioned that or not, um, th th we can go months, maybe even years on end without seeing each other out with the BBC studio. You know, I mean, basically we'll come in, we'll meet up, as I say, for a wee coffee on a Saturday morning, get the idle chat out of the way. We'll do the first show and then forget COVID-19 and all that. In the good old days, if you like, at two o'clock, if Motherwell were at home, I would dash out to Fur Park to see the game. And then I'd come back in and do the evening show, uh, whereas Stuart would uh, watch. He's a wee bit more unlucky than, than I am in terms of the geography. The home games for him on a Saturday are sadly out of reach. But he can sit and watch the pictures coming into the BBC. So he'll watch his team one way or another. I'll watch my team one way or another, and then we will join forces again for a quick run through the top points in the evening show when I come back to Fur Park when he's finished watching the game of the telly. And after the evening show, 99.9 .9 times out of 100, we then go our own way and uh, we don't see each other again. And the very rare occasion that we arrange a wee night out with maybe hook up in Glasgow, we both live in Glasgow, 
and uh, we'd maybe meet up for a, a few drinks and then go for a meal. Uh, but it's, it's sparing that we do that. And, and I think that might, in a nutshell, explain uh, why we've lasted 25 years plus as we enter into year 26, effectively, now that we're in the close season. Because I, I always compare it to a marriage where maybe one party in that marriage, the husband or the wife, or perhaps even both, they work away from home. And that keeps the wee spark going because they're no living in each other's pockets. Uh, they only see each other maybe sporadically. And there's a freshness that's still there in the marriage. And I, I, I think that's the same uh, with me and Stuart going off the ball because we're no seeing each other day after day. It is kind of like a, a, a weekly relationship. So I think that's why we are still going after all this time. And crucially, maybe because of the, the teams that we support, because folk always ask me that. Uh, but the fact we always happily uh, uh, celebrate the fact that we support the so-called Diddy teams, me, Mullerwell, Stuart, St. Johnston, and folk from time to time. Indeed, in a, a podcast that I did not that long ago, the presenter was asking me, uh, how do you think it would have worked? Would it have worked at all if, let's say, uh, you and Stuart were one support at Celtic, one support at Rangers, or one support at one half of the old firm and one he supported the wee Diddy club? How, how would the dynamic differ? And again, I, I, I don't know. It's a simple answer to that, but I just get a feeling that because... That was another thing that brought us together. As much as uh, we, 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 to some people we would seem poles apart, the thing that joins us at the hip, figuratively speaking, is that we both support a wee diddy club. We both had very, very similar upbringings. Me in a house and scheme in Motherwell, Stuart in a house and scheme in Perth. So I think when you join these forces, we do actually have a mutual bond there. And I think that is maybe resulted in the longevity um, of off the ball. I'm interested to ask, put you in the spot with this one, Tam. Do you still get people who come up to you now after being on air for 25 years and go, go on, tell us who you really support? Oh, guy, but that, that's me. That's almost like a West of Scotland pandemic, you know, um, because... Uh, Sorry, that, did I disappear for a second there? You did. <laughs> uh, see, well, there you go. I'll, I'll no hide in from it. That was Kenny McIntyre, my BBC colleague. Uh, I've got no idea what he was phoning for, but of course, I'm doing this on my phone, and I think when somebody phones you, you can't, you can't actually annul them or them just, as I did there, <laughs> decline. But that's already intriguing me. What Kenny could be one. Uh, has something happened as I speak with model manager Stevie Robinson? Uh, as far as I'm aware, as I speak here today uh, to you, um, it looks like Ian Barraclough, I believe, is getting a Northern Ireland job, and Stevie's uh, staying on at Motherwell. Needless to say, that was Kenny's uh, voicemail that he was leaving there, which is why I had to halt that as well. Um, but, so, he's put me off there. I've no idea what Kenny McIntyre was like, but I'll tell you later. But yeah, West of Scotland, for me, growing up in Motherwell, and there are many, many uh, Celtic and Rangers fans come from Motherwell, sadly, uh, jump on the buses into their cars and get away into Glasgow. So you can't, you can't grow up in that part of the world. You can't, as I do now, live in Glasgow. 
uh, and be in the media and be a self-confessed Motherwell fan without folk taking the eye right attitude, you know. And that's just, uh, as I say, it's happened historically. Um, Chick Young, I think, my pal Chick, being the classic number one example. There is nobody in God's earth willing to accept that Chick is a St. Mirren fan. And uh, and I always like to kind of back Chick, as much as I've joked about it, you know, and his <laughs> blue nose tendencies and all the rest of it. I've written jokes about it, I've told jokes about it, I've mentioned it on air. But to be honest with you, my heart of hearts, I've always said that if Chick quit the BBC tomorrow, and we can but pray, say your prayers tonight, but if Chick quit the BBC tomorrow, and he thought, you know what, I'm no such an old guy yet, so instead of retiring, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a wee lollipop man job, and I'm gonna get a a, a a job helping out in a wee my local library, whatever it was that he chose to do. If he didn't then have to work with the BBC and be dispatched for match reports, I like to think genuinely that Chick would go and follow St. Murren, you know. But Chick, because of the nature of his job. Uh, he was always sent, and because he was, he's always been high profile at the BBC, Chick was always sent to the bigger games. And that would invariably involve a hell of a lot of Rangers games back in the day when uh, Chick was absolutely top of his game. And uh, that's why the affiliation to uh, Rangers would have been suggested by many a football supporter. I must be honest, my heart of hearts, I do find it baffling. When, I mean, when I get my season ticket the other week there for this intriguing forthcoming season that is hopefully going to start soon, uh, kicking off with watching games on a screen, maybe on my phone as I'm watching you just now, Callum. But when when that does start, that... I'll be my... That's getting very annoying now. Big Kenny, you'll need to edit this now. Uh, but that will be my 41st uh, uh, year as a season ticket holder at Fir Park. I got my first one for my 10th birthday. So, yes, it does seem baffling. I'm multiple born and bred. I supported from day one my local club. I got a season ticket for my 10th birthday. And for a few years before that, of course, I was able to get up with my pals and get a lift out or the wee tunnel that they used to have in the back of Fir Park, you could sneak in that way. Or maybe even, if you couldn't get a lift on one day, the classic old thing from a bygone era when they used to open the gates for the last 20 minutes, at the very, very worst, you could get up for that, you know. But for folk after all that, uh, to still suggest, you know, in that sneering kind of voice, I but who do you really support? What that boils down to is they want to know would you raised as a Protestant or a Catholic? And in which case, growing up in the west of Scotland, you must favour one of the two. And then you always get asked a supplementary question, right, okay, okay, Tam, you're a Muddle fan, but when Celtic are playing Rangers, who do you want to win? And I genuinely couldn't care less, and even start with the religious side of things. As anybody that knows me will tell you, I, I, I couldn't give two figs for religion. It's something that is not part of my life, so that, that, that wouldn't forum any part of uh, that debate about if, if I was cheering for one team or another. I've always looked, B 
be it in the history of off the ball, in the history of writing newspaper columns, in the history of doing TV shows. When it comes to the, the, old, the classic old firm fixture, Celtic against Rangers, Rangers against Celtic, my outlook has always been the same. I just look for something to emerge for the game. Uh, that I can have a laugh about or something gives you a wee bit of material. So that's as far as it goes with me uh, in terms of how I watch a Celtic Rangers game. But anything other than that is bonkers. And I, I must be honest, it's increasingly the case that fewer folk uh, kind of throw that one into the mix about asking me or Stuart who do we really support because it is, it is frankly preposterous. And, and, and one of the things you've talked about the show numerous times is some of the crazy rumours that people go to make up about yourself or Stuart to oh. say, I mean, how, how, does that, how, how does that make you feel? Do you just sit back and laugh and go, how sad are these people? Aye, well, the, the two classics that come up with me, and this splits the divide, if you like. I was a, 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 a guy with great authority wrote into the show a long number of years ago, and they were saying, oh, Tam, motherable my arse. Uh, I remember when you were the treasurer of the Celtic supporters bus at Glasgow University, right? Now, the, the, the bit, of course, that tickled Stuart uh, with that allegation was the very idea of me being at Glasgow University. And that, that's fair comment, you know. But uh, I just thought, this guy sent us in as if it was fact, you know. And uh, the flip side of that one, and the guy had done a wee bit of homework here with this one, maybe he'd heard me speaking in uh, previous shows. Uh, Everyday, for example, has got a favourite auntie or uncle, whatever. I'd probably mention that my favourite auntie growing up was Manny Agnes, who lived in the shadow of uh, Douglas Park. As a result of that, I used to go to the odd Hamilton Ackies game. Maybe they were playing midweek. Also, when I was young, went to a few Hamilton Ackies games if it was a day or a night, mother weren't playing because my, my school chum at primary and high school, Jim Weir, uh, was a Hamilton Ackies player, a bit of a stalwart at Hamilton, so I'd go and support Jim. So folk had kind of digested that wee bit of information that I was putting out there. And somebody else at the blue one day said, Ah, Tam, you're a Rangers man, because I know for a fact, that's what he said, I know for a fact uh, that you're involved. Uh, with a loyalist band uh, that marches for Burnbank and Hamilton. And that was a guy hearing me mention Burnbank, uh, you know, and he thought, I'm, I'm just going to send that in. So, you know what, though? I think that kind of backs me up in, 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 in my uh, take on this, that as long as they're always mixing it up, if there were one week saying, ah, you're a Celtic man, and ah, no, he's a Rangers man, then I'm absolutely happy with that, you know. Absolutely. Um, I, I spoke to Stuart about this, the, the size of Off the Ball, the popularity of the show. Have you ever been offered the chance, both of you, to move to another station or transition into TV in any way? And if so, was it ever tempting? Aye, the nearest we got, Stuart probably mentioned it, we got a Radio 5 Live gig uh, during a European Championships. Uh, when was it? Maybe... 2004 or 2008 it may have been, or was it two? And basically, my apologies again, but you know what happened there, Callum? We'll just soldier on, and whatever Kenny McIntyre was wanting me for, it better be bloody good. 
and I'm going to have a right go. Uh, but basically, uh, Radio 5 Live were looking for regional, as they would have deemed it, presenters uh, who do a kind of a football fan show. So the guys that did it for BBC Radio Wales or the guys that did it BBC Radio Northern Ireland, etc., etc. And uh, we were asked to do a show. And the great thing about it is, and almost tinged with sadness, is that we did our show and we get such a brilliant, brilliant reaction. We were basically doing off the ball on Radio 5 Live, and it got a, a stunning reaction that we were really, really happy about. We put our all in here. What we made sure we didn't do, we didn't suddenly put on the telephone voice and thinking that we had people suddenly embarking or surbiting down south who were tuned in, and we'd have to mind our P's and Q's and no sound too Scottish and all that. We, we, we agreed beforehand, no chance. We're doing this in our own voices, the same way we'd present off the ball, and we battered in. And I'm pleased to say we get an absolutely brilliant reaction uh, from the folk at Radio 5 Live and the folk who ordinarily just tune into that station that don't hear us normally off the ball. We, we, we gained a lot of listeners that night, because with folk realising that, of course, in this day and age, with internet, or get on Sky TV, you can pick up Radio Scotland, no problem, wherever you may be, in the UK or beyond. So we get quite a few extra listeners, maybe for that day. But there was people at that time, to answer your question, who asked us, would you like to do a show on Radio 5 Live? But you know what? Even though the money, I dare say, would be a lot better, you would have maybe a much bigger audience the very idea of us having to go on and incorporate English football into our programme just it absolutely gives me the fear. I, I, I just wouldn't, I mean, anybody that's ever tuned into Off the Ball knows Stuart and myself's take on English football. Quite frankly, we're not interested. So if we have been asked to do a show, let's say a regular show on Radio 5, but we suddenly had to be up to speed with who Crystal Palace has signed that week, or uh, the story that was in the papers about the Bournemouth manager, then, oh, that would give me sleepless nights. So we're quite happy broadcasting, operating, doing our stuff in Scotland and being unashamed with Scottish with our output. And in terms of the Scottish element, as well as off the ball, you've teamed up with your chums, Peter Martin, Alan Ruff, doing the PLZ soccer show on a Thursday. What's that been like? Because I've enjoyed watching that. No, that was great. I'll tell you, that came about quite simply with me. Um, last, when I, I finished up with the Scottish Sun newspaper uh, after five years with him, just almost this time last year, uh, just before I went on holiday. And again, that was just a, that was just a financial thing. Uh, print newspapers are, of course, really, really struggling in this day and age. I had a right good kick at the ball um, and what would be deemed a non-essential role as a columnist, you know, a light-hearted columnist and all the rest of it, you know. And they paid me very well for the five years I was there. The brilliant <coughs> 16 years that I had with the Daily Record before that, and the fabulous um, eight years that I had with the Glasgow Evening Times before that, absolutely brilliant. And I loved my time doing it. When that came to a halt due to financial constraints last uh, June, then I got a few folk, the media in Scotland that is 
a small, small village. Everybody knows everything that's happening. So I originally I got a few calls from other folk that I know, other newspapers, and chatting about the possibility of me doing something for them. But again, the disclaimer that they immediately mentioned was, oh, we've not got much money, Tom, you know how it is, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I kind of accepted, as much as I would still love, and I will go on record with you here, now, I would still love uh, to get a column, maybe a couple of columns back with um, a newspaper. I would still like to do it, because it's in my blood. I did it for, I was, I was a young guy, very young for a columnist of any sort. I'd started when I was 21 um, with the Evening Times. Um, so I'd love, I'd still love, there's life in the old dog, yeah, you know. Um, but around about the same time when I was uh, fielding these calls, when I was lying in my sun lounger, but this time last year uh, in Florida, I also got a, a tentative inquiry from Peter Martin, who I'd known for years. And Peter actually said, I can almost just remember his text, he said, would you be interested and would the BBC allow you to get involved with PLZ Soccer? And I said, well, yeah, I'd be interested because I know Peter, I like Peter. I'd a wee bit of time in my hands. I knew that as well because I wouldn't be doing the newspaper stuff. And the other interesting thing at that point was I had just at that time for that holiday in Florida, I had dipped my toe into the waters of social media because I'd never been on any form of social media before and uh, I started on Instagram which I'm still on and I still really really enjoy so it was almost I wouldn't say it was a midlife crisis but <laughs> having had a wee start on Instagram when Peter explained what they were doing in PLZ and it was all if you like the technical modern social media world of Scottish football i.e. They, 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 they did their, uh, their programme on their YouTube channel, they do it on Facebook Live, and they record their podcast. It was all kind of uh, an age moving on from print newspaper, if you like, you know. So I fancied having a crack at it, you know. And uh, Peter, you know, Peter was very blunt. It's a relatively small operation, although the, the figures he gets for it are, are, are quite incredible. We're all, we're all hoping you know, something big could happen uh, with PLZ soccer in the future. But Peter knew right away, he says, look, I'm not going to replace the money you were on by uh, the newspapers or anything like that. But I says, no, 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 well, I says, I've known Alan Ruff for years as well. I said, I told Peter Blunt that I like Peter. I've worked with him at many a football event in the past. And the same way Alan Ruff, I've been on it quite a few football dues with, with the big man and I enjoy their company. So I says, yeah, count me in. So it meant then that when I returned for that holiday, it was basically something different to try. And it meant that then you were trying for another audience out there in the social media world, be YouTube, Facebook Live, and the podcast. And then by this time, I'd also started to build a bit of an audience on um, Instagram. So for somebody who was almost at times, and I slagged myself over it, a real technophobe, <laughs> uh, somebody had, had genuinely a Nokia 3310 uh, up until uh, 2016, May 2016. I had that phone that I'd had since 1998. Uh, quite incredible, really. Now, it's a bit like Trigger's Broom. It had several uh, different handsets and it had many a different battery and different chargers and all that. But it was still ostensibly my eyes, the same phone. So um, when I did 
get the iPhone, which I'm talking to you on now, and this is due an upgrade as well. It's the same one. I think a iPhone 5SE. You'll know more about these things, Callum. Uh, but I'm overdue an upgrade. This one does me the roof and all I use it for, you know. But having got the iPhone 2016, and it took me a further two years uh, to join social media uh, via Instagram, um, you know, that, that, that was like a long two years to get involved with something like that when I had the wherewithal. But I thought then, you know, what the heck, when I got involved with Peter, I thought, hey, let's, let's add another string to my bow, if you like, and we'll see what happens with this bit. So it's been great fun. It's been great fun. And the only thing is, I really miss, I really miss the, the instantaneous element, the quick fire element of being able to do the shows with Peter and Ruffy in the studio. When we were sitting in there in the studio, sitting alongside each other with whoever the special guest was that week, it was merely a bang, bang, bang kind of uh, format where we getting the lines in, getting the jokes in and whatever, you know. As you'll know yourself, even for doing this way, we, we, we would normally now do it in Zoom, which we're doing this on today. And then there's three of us on there, sometimes four. This is a lot easier one-to-one. -one. But you always feel in that format that maybe only speak when you're spoken to. Mm. Because it, it can sound quite clumsy talking over each other. And apart from anything else, you're always sitting there just feeling that the screen's going to freeze and you need to sign yourself in again or something like that, you know? So I would love to get back to the days when with the PLZ soccer stuff that we could return to the studio and sit there and feed off each other and butt in and talk over each other without worried about the technical side of things. And I, and I think as well, Callum, that's, that's why I really, really count my blessings when it comes to off the ball because, you know, there's a lot of high-profile shows, I think most notably the equally long-running Now, have I got news for you? And the good news is, I just get to be notification there saying voicemail has one new message. So I think when it gives you that, it doesn't keep trying to force you to answer that message. <laughs> We're fine now. I can go back to it later. I'm dying to know what Kenny was after. Uh, but anyway, what I was going to say was, you'll have watched it yourself. The last series just finished a few weeks ago. When they did Have I Get News For You with the, the presenter, Ian Hislop, Paul Merton, and their two guests, isolated, sitting in their own homes, doing it into their phone, into their iPad, into their computer. It just wasn't the same, and particularly with no audience. Now, we never have an audience as such. Our audience is at the other end of the radio, at the other end of their car stereo, whatever it might be. But because when I saw that, I was forever grateful that me and Stuart are still able to come into the BBC to have the studio to ourselves, as we have to do, we're only allowed the two of us in the studio. We sit our, you know, legal two metres apart, but just to still have us in the studio, and we are guests being down the phone line, it makes such a difference. Uh, and the only thing, again, you miss with that, is you'll understand, it's, you know, I can't wait to be able to have our guests back in the studio, because see when you're having a laugh and a joke and a carry on with people, it's much better if you can make eye contact 
and they can maybe see the wee glint in your eye or the wee <laughs> smile on your face when you're maybe being a wee bit cheeky or making a wee joke at their expense. And then they definitely know just when they're looking at you that it is a joke, that you're only pulling uh, their leg. But when it's doing the phone line and they can't see you, you know, they might think that, oh, he's having a go at me here, where nothing could be further from the truth. So I'm delighted that we're still able to do the show um, as was with me and Stuart in the studio every Saturday. It makes such a, such a difference. I don't want to embarrass you here with praise, because um, I know you and Stuart are, are quite reluctant to that, but one of the main appeals I've always had of being a fan of your work, Tam, is... And I hope you take this the right way. You've always came across as what I would define as a normal guy who's on the radio, on the telly. And I think that's what the appeal is to me. And I've been lucky enough to also meet you at a few events over the years. And what you are on air is what you get off air, a genuine sort of person as well. One of the questions I've always wanted to ask you, you've obviously got a, you've got a wee girl, you've got your wife. How do they react to, to, to you being on the radio, on the telly, and people coming up to you maybe when you're out at a family gathering or whatever? Um, I well, they well, first and foremost, my wife, um, actually, she, she even from time to time would give me a ticking off for, for being, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know you might, listeners to off the ball, uh, might be staggered to learn this, but I'm actually, by nature, I'm, I'm very shy, uh, and, and whenever MD, it's maybe a wee bit of a Scottish trait, this as well, but whenever MD even attempts to give you the faintest of praise, you, you almost want to throw it back at them. I mean, you, you're totally unwilling to accept it. So, um, if ever anybody comes up to me, I mean, the one thing I, uh, I think I'm good at that I've learned a while ago, if somebody comes up to me in the street and wants to talk about off the ball or me reviewing restaurants or anything that might be or talk about moral support, moral, I, I, I'm always good at uh, standing there and giving them the time of day and having a, a chat back. And if somebody comes up to me, in the pub, um, my, 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 my most likely retort to someone that they asked me would be, right, aye, fire in, mate, and what, what, what can I get you to drink? I'll stand there and have a, and have a drink or whatever. So I'm actually, I think I'm quite kind of good at that because I've, uh, you know, I, I, I was going to say I'm very grounded, but I've got no reason to be any other way. It's not anything remarkable or anything that I do. It's great that the uh, stuff that I've been involved with, whether it's the radio or the papers or the telly, that is, generally been well received and I've been very, very fortunate in that respect, but it wouldn't turn you into a bohead or a, 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 a big head. Uh, uh, so the down to earth thing, I think it's best summed up that when I always say to folk that uh, when I leave the studio at two o'clock on a, a normal Saturday, if I'm going out to Fur Park, I would never ever, when I get into my seat at Fur Park at about quarter to three, I would never edge in to row D, the Phil O'Donnell stand, to sit next to all my mates. I would never sit down, having come from the radio and just said, oh, oh God, I've, I've just come from my work, you know, because my mates quite rightly would give me a kicking when they'd been out doing genuine graft all week. And there's me coming in, uh, having had the privilege uh, between 12 and 2, having just sat with my mate, talking a lot of shit about Scottish football and then and getting paid for it. Uh, you know, so... Stuff like that, shall we say, keeps your, keeps your feet in the ground and keeps you grounded. And another thing as well is, I, I, I would, you know, certainly in the early days of off the ball, we even used to get quite pithy letters that would get sent in about the way I talk. You know what I mean? And who's this guy? Is 
Lanarkshire accent and blah, blah, blah. How dare he be on poisoning the BBC airwaves and all. Now, the best film in the world, I was never going to change how I talk on the radio, you know. And to the point where uh, there was a guy up in Oban, an older guy up in Oban, nearly got a bleach in one day for two of my aunties. Uh, and they were absolutely serious. Both my aunties at this time were in their late 70s. And they were up on a wee day trip up to Oban. They were sitting in a cafe and they were sitting at a table adjacent to this other old guy. And, you know, it's like proud aunties and all that. When they get chatting to the guy, it wasn't too long before both my aunties realised that this was a guy. He might be interested in Fatma. He might have heard off the ball in Radio Scotland. They couldn't wait to tell them that they were the two proud aunties of Tam Cowan. And the guy, without a moment's hesitation, saying, oh, I am, I am, I am. I'm not sure I like Tam, when he puts on that working-class accent, right? And this guy probably, I don't know, he might have thought I was straight out of public school or something, and I spoke with little Lord Fauntleroy or whatever. But my two aunties, born and bred in Motherwell, brought up proud of their local heritage. They just about went for this guy's throat, uh, you know, for him having the very notion that I somehow was putting on an accent to be Mr. Motherwell, Mr. Working Class, you know, but it's just the way I am, that's that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever change it. The, the alternative would sound absolutely ghastly. I mean, you imagine if I thought to myself, right, we'll be 25 years off the ball, it's about time I sounded like someone who, who, who is on the radio, who is broadcasting for the BBC, <laughs> and I started putting on a very posh twang. It just, you know, frankly, it just wouldn't work. But so I've always, I'm, I'm, I'm a working class guy who I've, I've, I've done all right for myself. I've, I've, I've never claimed to have any great talent, but I've, I've always worked hard. The only thing I would say for any boss, whether it was a newspaper editor, uh, a TV producer, or my producer on the radio. The only thing I can promise is I'll put a shift in and, I, and I'll do the homework and I'll do the prep and, and that's what's got me by after all these years. But I would always try to uh, always remain true to my roots. And, uh, you know, and again, it's on that note as well. Another, another thing that you need to be very careful with in the radio in terms of keeping it real, if you like, the, the club that I've had, uh, you know, that I've, I've, I've had to tread very carefully down through the years with any stories involving them is Motherwell. Now, Motherwell's my team. I'd always gone and supported them, as I say, 41 years now as a season ticket holder. Um, I'm very privileged that I do all the, the, the social kind of gathering events for Motherwell. I do the player of the year, the Q&A with the, the manager, whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm proud and privileged to do that. Um, but Motherwell always get the fairest crack in the whip for me. And it's not because I don't want to fall out with him at the club or anything like that. I mean, I've done that in the past. I had a fall out with John Boyle years ago. John's a good pal of mine, and particularly in, in recent years. But I had a, had a major fall out with John Boyle when, round about, I think it must have been around about 2000, 2001. He had uh, come up with the notion of a Lanarkshire United team, you know, and John, he was seeing it as a very, very successful businessman and thinking that it might be good if he was able to merge Motherwell, Hamilton, Airdrie and Albion Rovers. Now, myself and many another Motherwell fan and fans of all those clubs, 
would have been only too quick to tell me no uncertain terms that this was a crackpot idea and we weren't remotely interested. Now, because I had the, the vehicle, the public vehicle, uh, to, 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 to get my message across with the radio and, and with the, the telly at the time and with the newspaper, then I really was quite vociferous in telling John Boyle where to go with that particular idea. So he made a big bit of thought, which made John, John realises in fairness to John. John's a lovely guy, and he didn't know with hindsight that he'd got that one wrong, and we, we still laugh about it now, you know. But in general terms with Motherwell, I've got to tread extra carefully with any Motherwell story, only because what the feedback will be from my pals. Because I don't want to go on the radio and say my piece about whatever, for whatever reason, Motherwell's been in the papers that week, been in the news that week. I don't want them to sit down with my pals when I hook up with them uh, for a curry or for a pint or whatever it may have been in the good old days. And they say, what, what, what the fuck was that you were talking about? On the that's, that's, that's not what we think, you know. See, you never ever want to be out of step, out of line with the model fans in general, because if that happened more than once or twice, you would justifiably then get folks saying, ah, what team does he really support? Because he's clearly not saying what all the model fans are saying. So in that vein, I've got to be very, very careful uh, uh, anything that I say about Motherwell only uh, for the reaction from my mates who are also diehard fans. Last question, Tom. I'm very conscious of your time and thank you for your time so far. Um, the restaurant reviews, um, I'm based in Inverclyde. There's many a restaurant down here that still has your review framed and on their the, the one at the marina, aye. Uh, um, the one at the Invercat marina, who had a head waiter guy who was a spitting image of uh, Al Pacino. Um, well, he's a cross. I say this, but he's a cross between Al Pacino and Tommy Sheridan. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was weird. I still remember that guy. I'm thinking where else I've been in Inverclyde. Quite a few. Because the minute you went down there, I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood and I still go back all the time. Uh, I love the Isle of Butte, uh, Rossi. So it was physically impossible for me to get over uh, to Butte without, of course, passing through. Uh, the Inverclyde area. So I've done loads down there. Greenock, I've got uh, a good friend down in Greenock who uh, worked at Glasgow Airport and I made sure I always took her out as frequently as possible uh, for a wee restaurant review to be my guest. And I cutely always did it just a few weeks before I was due to go on holiday. And then lo and behold, if I arrived at the airport with my suitcase, uh, a few weeks after I'd fed in Watertown in a nice restaurant, normally in Greenock, uh, then it's amazing the amount of times I heard the wee bing bong, could Mr Cowan and his party come to the desk and magically I managed to get an upgrade uh, on the flight. So I wasn't a stupid, I wasn't a stupid, but I, so sorry, I interrupted you there. What was your question about the restaurants? Well, as I say, one of the restaurants, the Taj Mahal Indian, um, obviously, one of the, that article's still on their wall and it talks about getting, in, people getting the boat Europe. over. Yes, yes. Oh, aye. Oh, that was brilliant. Aye. Uh, that was that was a competition. I used to give a regular one away as a competition prize in my newspaper columns. And the winner, it was a, a very easy prize to give away, but one it was very much sought after. It would be the winner plus one. Yeah, 
wife, husband, your pal, whatever it was, the winner plus one would come out on a restaurant review with me. And it was a good way. Uh, newspaper editors always liked it as well, because they liked anything that saw the newspaper engaging with the reader. So he was a classic way of doing it. The winning uh, entrant plus one would come out in a restaurant review with me. And it wasn't a bad wee prize because they got on the good side of a restaurant review. They get the meal, they get a nice wee drink, they didn't have to pick up the tab, and they didn't have to write a 1,200-word review. So it wasn't a bad wee night out, you know. Um, so that particular night, um, the winning entrant, oh, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he actually lived in Danoon. And rather than, I'd have been quite happy to jump the ferry the other way, or even go around the Argyle uh, route, the big long road, around uh, the Danoon, if you like. Um, but he was more than happy. He suggested the Taj Mahal in Gurukh. Uh, and he and one of his mates, who I think was from maybe Greenock or Gurukh, he, the three years met in there anyhow for a wee drink before it. And I must say, if memory serves, the Taj Mahal was absolutely cracking. And I'm, I'm very picky when it comes to a curry. Indian food, I, I would reckon, is number one on my list. So that, it tended to be the Indian restaurants where I did have, uh, you know, I, 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 I did have my, my poisonous pen at the ready. If they dared not to come up with a meal, it was up to scratch in an Indian restaurant. So I, the Taj Mahal was, was excellent. And I nearly get into it. Um, it was a couple of years ago. I came down. I, I used. To, I was in the boys' brigade when I was younger, and because any time I mention that, you can't mention the boys' brigade. I've even had the BBs when I was a kid on air, on off the ball. Without five minutes later, you get a flurry of requests and from boys' brigade captains asking you, "Could you go to their end of term parade and take the salute or whatever?" You know. So I'd been asked by a a, a BB. Uh, company down in uh, in Gurukh, or it might have been Greenock, and the guy had seen my review, and he says, "Tam, if you come down it, do the salute, and maybe do a wee Q and A uh, with the boys for the company." Uh, all I can offer, he says, is that after it, we'll take you for some scran to the Taj Mahal in uh, Gurukh, which I'd only reviewed maybe a few months earlier. So that was an offer I couldn't have refused. But sadly, that night. It was either the BB event kind of overran, maybe the Taj was shot in it, it was a midweek, maybe it was shot in a bit earlier, or it was simply fully booked. I'd like to think in the back of my review, but we didn't get going that night. But I've, I, it's one of the many places, because I had, I, again, when I finished up with the Scottish Sun, this time last year, then sadly the restaurant review went with it, but I'd done that for a grand total of 21 years. So I'd been a professionally, if you think it that way, a restaurant a week, I'd been to more than 1,000 restaurants, the length and breadth of Scotland, and a few, a sprinkling of them abroad and further afield in the UK. I'd done, for example, the rotisserie restaurant in Harrods Food Hall in London, which was cracking. I was doing there for my 40th birthday. And I realised, shit, I've got a restaurant review today this week. I've been doing London for a few days, we celebration. I phoned my then editor at the Daily Record and says, listen, I'm sitting here in Harrods. There's loads of Scots when they come down to London for a wee trip. They go to Harrods. It's a 
a must-visit location. Could I review this? And he said, aye, fire in. Also did when me and Stuart flew back for our European Championships, I think 2008, Scotland weren't even at it, of course. But we went out to do some shows for Off the Ball. When we flew back, we were sitting at Gatwick. We had quite a long way at Gatwick for our connected flight up to Glasgow. And I noticed uh, plain food, P-L-A-N-E food. And it was a Gordon Ramsay. It was his new outlet at Gatwick Airport. And I thought, well, that's a great one to, to go and review with Gordon Ramsay, the Scottish connection, blah, de, blah, de, blah, at the time of the European Championships which we'd flown back to. So again, phone the editor, can I review that? Yeah, fine. Uh, also, I think I did two in my lifetime, doing Blackpool, when I'd we visit down to Blackpool, and with so many Scots going to Blackpool, I thought, hey, why not review a restaurant here? So I kind of missed that. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's, it was a big, big, big part of my life. And, um, but the... I'll need to keep my fingers crossed in this one, but we've got a, a wee idea that's been lodged with the BBC, because I've never done a spin-off, if you like. 21 years of restaurant reviews were strictly 21 years of reviews going in the newspapers. I've never done a book. I've never done a radio show about the food. I've never done a tele show. So we've got, indeed, a couple of wee restaurant-related ideas that are with the BBC. And maybe the only thing that's holding up the news is just the, this global pandemic when there's so much uncertainty everything, including budgets for programs or budgets for podcasts. But I would like to get involved because the, in the 21 years, eh, taking copious notes about restaurants, observing things about restaurants, learning things um, about restaurants, um, you know, it's, it's all up there. So I want to use it Absolutely. in a different kind of format, you know. Well, I do hope it comes back and in terms of what's the craziest or the weirdest experience you've had in a restaurant? Um, the craziest was, I'm trying to think of one I haven't mentioned uh, lately to anyone. Because lo and behold, as you know, Callum, um, in fact, I think I'm the only guy in Scotland not doing a podcast myself these days, you know. Uh, but I've done, I've done a few of these over the, the, uh, during COVID-19. Um, and I've, I've had all the stories about being bribed in restaurants, which was indeed true. I could, I'll tell you a good one. I went to a place, the bribery was true. I, I was basically offered cash and lots of it one night by a slightly inebriated restaurant owner who was basically wanting to try and guarantee a good review. As it turns out, I was able to dodge out of his restaurant before he threatened to stuff bundles of notes in my pocket. And I put it down to his excitement and the fact he'd had a wee drink. And I, I, I ignored that uh, because my review in his restaurant had been done by that point. My notepad had been put away. The bill had been paid. And this was after it when I was just having a drink in the bar. And he decided to try and guarantee a good review. He was going to get one anyhow because the food was excellent. Nice place, nice service, etc. But the strange one was, I've only uh, I've only been driving since 2012, and pre 2012, I was in a restaurant. And incidentally, when you're talking about Inverclyde, geography wasn't my strong point, but this particular place may fall within the environs of uh, Inverclyde. Maybe not. Quite a quite a nice place, quite a posh place. I won't name it. 
And I arrived to review it with two of my mates uh, that I hung about with in Mullow and went for a drink with Mullow. One of my pals drove down. We were sitting at our table and it was a kind of posh place because they had a very smartly dressed maitre d' who welcomed us in, who was looking after us on the night. And before the other waiter came in just to take our order, this aloof maitre d' was just overlooking things. I mean, we ordered and then ordered a bottle of wine. The house red, that was my standard order. Uh, I, I, I like a glass of wine, but I never claim to be an expert. I mean, it came to order that off a wine list. He thought the house red is absolutely fine. This maitre d' almost sprinted out of my table when he, he saw us with the house red, and he clearly had clocked me. He knew who I was, he knew what I was there for, and he, oh, oh Mr. Cowan, Mr. Cowan. He went into this Oscar-winning uh, performance. Mr. Oh, we, uh, the, the house red, sorry, we cannot have you drinking that, right? And he disappeared, <laughs> and he came back five minutes later with this right story, bottle red wine, right? It was like the story Maduri in the famous episode of Still Game. This right story bottle, and the partner he came away with, which was great. He thought he was been quite clever with this part, so it wouldn't be deemed a bribe. But he came out with this story, vintage bottle and he says, Mr. Cowan, I wonder if you can help us. We have taken on a new wine supplier. He thinks we are able to charge £120 for this. Could I ask you just to try it and tell us what you think? You know, and I thought, oh, can we? What he's basically saying, and you didn't need to read too far between the lines. He's basically saying, here's a bottle of wine that's worth £120. I'm giving it to you, just for you to tell us what it's like. You know, we want to give you a £120 bottle worth of wine and then hope for a good review. Now, I, very quickly to him, right, he had uncorked it elaborately and all that, you know, and he was smelling the cork and, you know, and, that. <laughs> and he just poured me as a day, wanting to taste it a wee smidgen. Right. Now, I couldn't drive, as I explained at that time. It was my mate that was driving, right? But what I said to him, and wow, what a change in the reaction we got from him. I says to him, oh, oh, oh. I says, I can stop you there, mate. I says, I'm actually driving tonight. I says, but I'm sure my two mates would see the minute I said that. He fucking disappeared back down uh, the corridor with this bottle of wine. He's thinking, well, look, I'm no wasting it in your pals. That was that. The house red will be you fine, you know. Now that story I was able to retell in the review because it was before I'd had the meal and it was before I'd paid the bill. Now I, I, I get, when you paid the bill on the night at every restaurant, everybody always asks you, oh, did you get the, 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 the meal for free? Well, yes, effectively. I got it reimbursed by the paper monthly. You would send in your expenses. But I still had to earn it by writing the articles, etc. you know. Um, but... If anybody came up to me in the course of time, and it was a natural thing that they said, the folk, when you walked in, if they knew who you were and they guessed what you were up to, quite frequently they would maybe say, yeah, uh, Tam, is this a review? And I would never lie, I'd say, yeah, it is. And then they would maybe say the follow-up question, uh, what happens, do we, do we give you this something? Do you pay for it? And I'd say, no, 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 it's not a review unless I do pay for it. I'm, I'm in there as a member of the public walking in, you always pay the bill, and then and only then uh, could I do a write-up about it. You know, so that that was a, that was a frequent thing that happened. And the guy that did me the real turn out of that, and I don't mind, he earned me a few quid many moons ago, and I thought, good on you. It was the famous Scottish chef Nick Nairn. 
He had a, a, a restaurant, and sadly, not for too long, in the West End of Glasgow, because I thought it was really good. And I went to review it at uh, Nick Nairn's restaurant, and at the end of the night, he came out, and uh, he said to me, he, he says, Tom, I'm not giving you a bill. And I said, whoa, 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 Nick, no. I said, you need to give me a He says, right, okay. He gave me a bill for me to put in my expenses, staple onto my expenses form for the paper, but he didn't actually charge me. So I think that night, whatever we'd had that night, me and my dining companion with a three-course meal and a bottle of wine, I was maybe up 85 quid, got the money back for the paper, but didn't tell them that I hadn't been charged. So that was, a, that was a little perk of the job for the sake of 85 quid. But as I say, I would love to do some... I did, I, in, in, a, in a slightly, of course, lesser scale. Uh, it's tricky to know because the restaurants aren't open, but I've, I've effectively reviewed quite a few restaurants on Instagram with places that I've gone and visited uh, right around the country. When I, I, I like going on wee day trips myself in the car and stopping somewhere nice for a bit of lunch, and I'll always take pictures and stick it up on Instagram, you know, and it's nice to get a, a bit of feedback for the owners of the restaurant, and if it's something that you've enjoyed, you try to get your hopefully your followers will maybe go and enjoy it as well. And even during uh, lockdown, when I've been having some carry-out meals, some takeaway meals for some of my favourite places, not too far from home, then I've been only too happy to flag that up on Instagram and try to get them a wee bit of business, you know. Um, and there's been some great restaurants and great food suppliers, butchers, everything that have given me prizes uh, since the start of lockdown to give away to, to key workers, to NHS workers uh, via Instagram. So, I mean, tonight, as I speak to you here, the noon, the Saturday, I've got one get up the night for uh, butchers uh, in Glasgow who gave me a prize to give it to a key worker. And it's astonishing. It must be worth a fortune. It's a huge hamper of like, steaks, you know, fillets, sirloin, ribeye, and burgers in there, sausage, bacon, black pudding, mince, steak pies, mince rounds, everything. And uh, they've given me that. So I know for a fact I'll be doing a wee post about that tonight and then giving the folk on Instagram, maybe, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday to get their nominations in. So that keeps me uh, kind of my toe in the water with the food side of things as well. So I, I still enjoy that. Well, I have to say, Tam, thank you very much for your time. Um, I wish you all the best. Hopefully we have many more years of off the ball. We see the restaurants reviews soon. And for your sake and the sake of many people in Lanarkshire, I hope Mother will have back as soon as possible in a safe environment as well. Right, brilliant. No bother, Callum. And I'll away now and see what Kenny McIntyre was one. <laughs> so we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song